Hi, Eddie here. Red and I have used Zencaster to record all of our episodes of Punk Rock Elite because it's easy, browser-based, and it gives us separate tracks that are easy for me to edit. It can also be used for 4K video too. Maybe we'll try that one day. It's really easy to use. It can do a lot of the editing for you, clipping out your ums and ahs, and adding an EQ to bring out the best in your voice, all from a single website. If you want to make a podcast but aren't sure how to go about it, then Zencaster provides everything you need to record, edit and distribute your new show to Spotify, Apple and a ton of other places that people get their podcasts. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code PUNKROCKELITE and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs it's time to share your story. Punk Rock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Punk Rock Elite podcast. Here we are. I'm here. I'm Eddie French. And I'm Red Redmond. Oh, hi, Red. You sound a bit different. Yeah, a bit poorly. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we've got a pretty exciting... Oh, I wanted to say something. Oh, v- v- very well, Red. P- please do. Oh, I can't believe how much the audience love you more than me, Eddie. I think it's amazing. Red, you don't need to say that. No, no, I do. I definitely need to say it. And also, how handsome you are okay may- maybe i was uh just joking there uh red is not with us today and red will not be with us for the rest of the calendar year i'm afraid red is off doing panto so is now uh has left sheffield and is in manchester for the next couple of months uh we'll be hearing little bits and bobs from them as and when but in quite heavy rehearsal for the pantomime and also will be on vocal rest during the performance time as well so we've recorded plenty of episodes for you to keep you going uh, but it'll just be me doing the intros and outros uh, except of course uh, for this we might as well do it now I always ask what Red's been up to and Red has had some fun uh, announcement that they've been able to make And so we're going to just head on over and listen to Red talk about that for a moment. Here you go. Hello, Punk Rock Elite. Red Redmond here with a very special announcement. Um, I will be bringing my solo stand-up show to the Frog and Bucket in Manchester on Tuesday the 16th of April. This is a little unusual for me to suddenly do such a big show, but I have a big story to share. The show is called Tram Taylor Red's version. And it's a very wild story about my very real and bafflingly famous cardboard cutout of Taylor Swift. Um, Tram Taylor has been described as a viral sensation and a Manchester institution, subject to national news coverage and even an interview on the Zoe Ball breakfast show. Um, to, to be clear, I did the interview. The cardboard cutout, you know, didn't have much to say. Uh, It's going to be a great show with a potentially scandalous finale. Tickets are on sale now at frogandbucket.com. 
Tuesday the 16th of April, the day before my birthday. So if you didn't know what to get me this year, buy a ticket. I'll see you there. Enjoy the podcast. Lovely stuff. And I've got other stuff going on as well. Um, You can check our link trees or our socials, uh, whatever you like. Uh, MX Red Redmond uh, on Insta or uh, Eddie the French on Insta as well, if you want to know what we're doing. But because uh, I'm alone at Punk Rock Elite Towers, there won't be the big uh, the big chatters. Uh, I will point out, NoFX have announced, uh, released and potentially sold out their remaining European and US dates for their 40 years, 40 cities, 40 songs. At present, I have tickets for none of them, and that probably won't change because I can't afford it or the time to go and do it, uh, which is a great shame, but went to Leeds. That was all I was really banking on doing anyway, so if my fortunes change, then you'll be the first to know. Well, Ticketmaster will be the first to know, and then you lot will be a close, close second. But uh, to everyone who's got them, very, very pleased uh, that that's the case. All the exciting stuff we have coming up for you, apart from our uh, dives into the uh, remaining NoFX records and a couple of little Christmas treats, they're all for next year. So uh, we'll just dive straight in. We're doing single album today, uh, divisive, very divisive uh, album, possibly the most divisive album. This and double album, I sort of lump them together as they're all the same sessions and stuff like that. So we'll find out what we think. Uh, punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And uh, thank you ever so much. Um, it's so weird to have such a short intro. Although, according to uh, at least one comment I saw online, maybe a brief intro is what some people are after. But uh, either way, it's our podcast. We'll do what we want. Here is single album. See you on the outro. Single album, album number 14. We are perilously close to the modern day, you know, Red. Yeah, we are. 2021, 26th of February, this came out. Wow. Yeah. And we're what? We're right at the back end of 2023. So this is, I mean, it's it's over two years, two and a half years old. It's pretty recent, though. It's pretty, it feels a lot more recent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was recorded in 2020 at uh, Motor Studios in San Francisco, mm-hmm. produced by Bill Stevenson of The Descendants, sure, uh, among others, and all, and uh, Jason Livermore, who works with Bill Stevenson at um, the Blasting Room in Colorado, which is uh, his recording studio, but they recorded it elsewhere. So, 14th studio album by NoFX, released 26th of February 2021. First studio album in nearly five years. So, it's the longest gap between studio albums. Sure. They did release a series of one-off singles in between and West Coast versus Wessex, mm-hmm. uh, which they actually released. Um, they actually took a break from recording single and double album because I think they were recorded at pretty much the same time because it was supposed to be a double album called single album. Sure. Because that is a joke. 
allegedly. But they did take a take a break to record West Coast versus Wessex, or their five songs from it. Um, the although it says here the COVID nineteen pandemic prompted the band to release just a single album, hence the title. I'm that's not the version I heard, but. Um, uh, Fat Mike has further elaborated that the intended second disc of the album didn't receive positive feedback and thus it was scrapped. Hmm. Which doesn't sound like a Fat Mike thing to do. Well, it would suggest that the first album was received well. Oh, have we have we have we just a little twitch of the curtain? We... You know, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get to it. <laughs> Well, Kerrang gave it four out of five. So there yeah, you but go. Kerrang are fucking mental. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously Kerrang are mental. Um, and Wall of Sound gave it eight out of ten, which is the same as four out of five. Hmm. So critically, this was a bit of a darling. And normally, no effects albums received by critics are like, oh, no effects have released an album. Uh, three stars, some funny bits. You know, they, they just sort of go, well, it's no effects in it. People are going to like it or not, whatevs. And then, you know, get dewy-eyed over uh, animals as leaders. Are they one of those can't even be bothered putting singing on a song? I've, I've, I don't know who that is. There's a, there's a real resurgence in sort of just instrumental rock music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, guitarists is, yeah. like it because guitarists don't understand why singing is good. <laughs> I think. Imagine if the singing was actually me just shredding like fuck, and all the girls getting all hot about it. Oh yeah, that is a better song. Well done. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that is that. We've got ten songs, and it still manages to be thirty-six minutes long. Mm, yeah. Uh, the personnel only credits on on the no, on the Wikipedia page. Uh, Mike lead vocals and bass. Melvin guitar backing vocals. Hefe guitar backing vocals. Smelly drums. Even though you can definitely hear keyboards, piano, uh, Karina Danike. Um, yeah, you can also hear um, a saxophone, which sounds a lot like Jason Freese to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what we're given. So 10 songs. What your initial... Uh, you, you hadn't really listened to this as a whole album, had you? I hadn't listened to it start to finish. Right, right. Uh, but as I started to listen to it, I realised I was more familiar with it than I thought. I think they released a good, a good handful of the songs. And there's only 10 anyway, but I think they might have released three or four in the preceding years leading up to it or the year or so. So it didn't feel like we were receiving a sort of a new batch of songs. It wasn't like a lot of the time they'll release a seven inch or two, like when they do things like uh, uh, stepdad's a cop, stepmom's a dom, things like that. And they don't, they might have a a demo of an album track on the B side, but they don't give you, they don't do that. So yeah. So what were your thoughts on listening to it? Um, I think, look, it's nowhere near as bad as self-entitled for me. Like, oh, no, no. I do enjoy bits of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are actually some very, very strong moments. I just think that, again, 
I have a similar experience with this that I've had with self-entitled where like, I just think the album tracks are like lower quality than what, um, no effects album tracks generally are. I mean, like we, we just recorded an intro for coaster yes. and like, when you think about songs like first call and the quitter, mm. like, I mean, these are just album tracks, but they're, they're so fucking good. Um, and they and they stand out. They immediately yes. jump at you. They they have a much clearer identity. Yeah, like as you an think individual of, piece of music. I think you think of the song titles and you immediately go, "Oh yes, that is that song." <laughs> yeah, but on this album, there's a lot of stuff, particularly towards the end of the album, where I can't even really remember it. Like, it can't, I can't really call it to mind right now. I think that this. This album sounds desperately sad to me. Mm, it Emotion- is a sad album. Emotionally, it sounds desperately sad. I, and you know what? Like, I, I hope it's just that. And I would have, I would have imagined that Mike wouldn't have enjoyed lockdown. No, you know, like there are rules so. to follow. Uh, you can't hang out with all your your all your bros at a well, sex palace. Luckily for him, well, the thing is, is that he had like six people living in his house. Sure, his six flogs was already there. Um, Johnny from Old Man Markley, his wife and their partner there in the um, yeah, and we'll get on to they and them being plurals and singles. Uh, for another song on this album at one point but yeah um, uh, Johnny from Old Man Markley and his wife who's also from Old Man Markley they have a uh, a girlfriend between them as it were so uh, they are they are in a, a thruple thruple that's the word I was looking for it's what polycule yeah one of them <laughs> um and some other people were there as well and also um uh Sam from Get Dead would just show up because um, there's a man who pays no attention to rules and regulations. Uh, ten out of ten. There, and I think, uh, and I think Mike was happy enough to go. Well, I'll follow the rules, but I know enough people who won't follow the rules that they'll just show up, and I can see them anyway. So that's nice. But, yeah. Um, but you know, they did. That was when they did like Weekend at Fatty's, where they played um, White Trash in totality and they had uh bomb pops get dead slightly stupid uh bad cop bad cop playing in fatty's garden one of the many that is one of the most filmed houses in van nuys los angeles <laughs> um so much stuff has been filmed there um including the demolition video most recently so there'll be no more but um i think he yeah, I don't think he enjoyed the the lockdown just from a sort of a social perspective. But um, I I think one of the things that I and I couldn't really mention it in the previous episode, the one about the Frank Turner split. I think the reason I find the Frank Turner split so enjoyable is because it feels like it was a holiday from this relentless, very dour, downbeat recording process for single and double album mm. if you see what i mean because if you just think about how everyone's having a go everyone it feels like a much more of a party recording that album or recording those five songs than this yes absolutely it does yeah and 
I know some people were upset that they'd pushed back their album to do the split with Frank Turner. But, but that's, they, they that, clearly had more fun doing the Frank Turner one. It it feels like it, doesn't it? You can right? tell when someone's enjoyed making an album. Um, yeah. yeah, and also it, it it's I I think I think that it's uh, that there are there are high points on this record. Don't get me wrong, but I think yeah. that the biggest the biggest thing for me is is the opening song, the big drag. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about opening tracks on no effects albums. Yeah, this ain't it. Okay, for me, I uh, I think the opening track might be the best track on the album. Well, Fat Mike agrees with you. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he said that it's the best track on the album. I, it's okay. I think it's incredibly pessimistic and deliberately so. I I feel like it's uh, what the last track on First Ditch Effort should have been. It it feels like it's Generation Z, Generation Z, whichever you prefer. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, the last album finishes with that and then the next album opens with this. Yeah. He's had a rough couple of years, or yeah, rough half definitely. decade, um, and I think that there was. I think that there was a lot. This is a very defeatist album. It's very nihilist, isn't it? Yeah, and that doesn't. It doesn't do a lot for me. I've got to say. Well, I think I think nihilism is a very dangerous thing to mix with no effects. Mm. I think that. In the mix, you usually have a sort of unwailing optimism, even in the face of, you know, bad things. Mm. And then when it when it bleeds over the line into nihilism, I think you lose the like the humor of no effects yeah. and the levity. Like like you just end up like you know that. It becomes unbalanced, like there's too much there's too much sad. <laughs> I think it might be that it's opening the album that colours the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely as well. And you know, I don't um I don't think they're wrong for opening the album with this because I don't know where else it would go. Like I don't think it fits as a final track. No, I feel no, no. Like- I yeah. I think they've kind of like painted themselves into a corner. Probably what should have happened is, right, hear me out. Okay. If instead of this album, they just released a two-track EP with the big drag and doors and fours, wouldn't we all be happy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, mate, elated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Because uh, they are sort of... They are the, the most closely connected one. One is like a, a macro and the other is micro. Well, they feel that those two songs definitely do feel like they um, are, are from like the same era of No Effects. I don't think all of the songs on this album are, sound like they're from that same era, but those two hmm. feel very close together. I think one thing that um, Mike has said about this is that they spent too long on it. Okay. On this and Double Album, which are kind of the same album. In sure. a way, 
because uh, he had something like 40 songs, maybe 50 songs written. And he was trying to pick, and that's why he thought, well, a double album, and then f- we have different reasons, different uh, suggestions as to why that didn't become a double album. But <laughs> calling the next album double album with the very similar artwork and stuff like that, you sort of feel like it's parts one and two mm. rather than, because you don't feel that um, Slat Fats and Valum are parts one and two. It's sure. an album and the next album. It's not a. It, it don't, but whereas single and double feel like parts one and two, released about a year apart, and the and their design, they're, there's not a in. It doesn't seem like there's been any intention to separate them in any way. They are considered that canonically. So yeah, you sort of got. You've got sort of. I mean, the thing is, is that the, the big drag is this big big idea of it's similar to generation z it's the the end of society it's you know everything's crumbling nothing's going to be here for much longer you know well it's it's an abridged version of the decline kind of yeah sort of yeah i know um but i mean that none of those reasons are the reasons that mike gives for it being the best song oh, okay mike's gone off a light deep end <laughs> not not one that many other people in punk bands went went on uh, in the lockdown. Uh, if anything, a, a a much less concerning one. But he basically got sli- seems to have got slightly obsessed with how many chords are in a song before you repeat a chord again. Because he's like, oh sure. well, you see, loads of bands play songs and they've got like three or four chords. This song goes sixteen chords without repeating it. Uh, and apparently that's supposed to make me excited about listening to it. <laughs> it, it, it it's you know he's written so many songs and it must get and and he gets bored easily and all that kind of stuff but it, it feels like he's sort of putting putting this sort of weight of importance on a thing that I don't know a lot of people particularly care about. I don't think that matters in itself mm. but I do think it's impressive that this song does 16 chords before it like repeats itself because it it sounds quite basic and i i i think what's impressive about this opening track is like it's slightly more complicated than it appears at first listen yeah um, I, I don't dislike it i just but I, I agree I, with you it's it's no reason to like a song is it <laughs> no i don't i i don't dislike the big drag i don't enjoy listening to it i don't know where it would go as well like sure i mean you, you could potentially open a live show with it but it's not really how they like to start live shows and you no, not not when you have dinosaurs will die at your disposal yeah and it's just long it is long um, like i don't think they'll put it really in a live set often anyway it, it's long and i don't know that any of these songs have been played live I mean, well, I mean, well, mm. we've spoken about this. We spoke about this when uh, Ali Bryce was on the show, um, which was the uh, someone asserting on a Facebook page that uh, Melvin and Hefe had not played guitar on this album mm. um, and that it was uh, Johnny from Old Man Markley and a member of All American Rejects. Sure. Who had played all the guitar on it. And, uh, and we said, 
and someone well i said to, i got any sources for that and he said yeah i know one of the engineers and he said so <laughs> so uh so i mean so now we know that that is definitely true do you remember when the lead singer of All American Rejects played um, a mentally handicapped Jesus in AMC's Preacher? No. Well, that did happen. I don't think I watched the second series. Was that when the Grail was introduced and Star and stuff? Oh, yeah. The Humper Dumper Do business. It, uh... That's what it was in the comic. I don't know what, it, what, what fun catchphrase they gave him. Oh, yeah, because he... he Oh yeah, because he's like the the inbred result yeah. of like of like two thousand years of inbreeding to keep the bloodline pure, a la yeah. the pharaohs. But it's just the guy from All American Rejects with, with like fake teeth in. Wow, I do. <laughs> wow, that fucking he's quite man. good. But it's sure, funny. Yeah. Um. Wow. So swing swing was giving it all. <laughs> I'm inbred. It's his dirty little secret, you know. Well, <laughs> nice. Um, Because I think one of All American Rejects was Smelly's drum tech for a while. Oh, okay. Um, In fact, it may even have been uh, the show, the last shows uh, currently is uh, the the drum tech and stuff. Because I think he took out, because I think there's some footage of Smelly playing guitar at the end of Decline. And so can the drum tech takes over playing the thing and then Smelly runs out with Hefe's guitar and and it was quite exciting. Um, And it honestly looked like they were all actually enjoying themselves playing a no effects gig. Aww. And it's really sad that you have to spot those times now <laughs> instead of just assuming they're enjoying themselves. So that was that was pretty cool. Um so yeah, so the big drag I don't know. It just it it puts a it definitely colours the rest of the album. I think I, I yeah. think Mike has also said that he was sort of inspired by Death Church by Rudimentary Peni. Okay. Which I can tell you've heard. Yeah, deep it's, yeah, big big fan of that stuff. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um I quite like it, but I don't know. It 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 sets up the album for a fall for my personal taste. Is all. Yeah. Yes, I no, I I I think I agree with you. Even though I like it, I th- I think I, I I agree. I don't dislike it. I'm not very good at um my my OCD prevents me from being able to engage with absolutely overly negative nihilistic pessimistic things because my OCD will just go. That is a very important thing to think about. So keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about it. Keep thinking <laughs> about it. And that and that doesn't do me um very much good which is not to say they shouldn't have done it or or anything like that but um so that's that's why i i find that one uh concerning it's also like six minutes and i and i don't see any point where it needs to be that yeah no it is long it does have a nice crescendo build vibe to it and stuff and then it finishes with like the um the Stooges style keyboard, ding, 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 you know, yeah. like I want to be your dog kind of thing. Um, I like the bass tone. It's very sort of sludgy in a, in a good way. The, the guitar tones in fun. general, I, I, I like them here. Like it's, mm. it feels like it's a progression of from first ditch effort where yeah. they're, they're relatively clean for an yep. FX guitar sound. Um, oh, compared but I, to the nineties, definitely. Yeah. 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 
but I I really like the sound on the big drag. I think um, oh yeah it's yeah produced very well. The drums sound very very um, explosive as well. Yeah, which I like. Um, we get to uh, I love you more than I hate me. It it this song right. So this is good. I like this song, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I've heard this song by No Effects previously. Like it, it feels very much like the um, what is it? Um, I I I love you, but I don't like you anymore. Oh, I don't like me anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I don't like me anymore. Yeah. Just yeah. The 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 self loathing's coming out a bit more in a lot of these things and. I like it. It's nice to have a sort of a fast, um, a fast no effects again. Yeah, because there wasn't like first ditch effort was was like fast, but not like nineties fast. And this one's yeah. got the the fat the fat beat. So that's nice to hear. It's, um, the harmonies are good. Yeah, it's not. I like it, but it's not standout for me. It's not going to turn the album around after the big drag either. Like, I think it's a good second track. Sure. It's not a, you know, because I, I agree with you, like the, the first track really sets this album up for a fall. And I think the only way out of that is if you had a second track that recalibrates everything. It's like, you know, okay, first track was fun, but this is, the rest of the album now and it's going to be very different if if they would put linoleum there or something some something <laughs> but, but i mean because that's it, it's that's possibly the most upbeat one yeah on on here and i don't know if, if they just put the two most extreme moods right next to each other at the beginning i don't know how that would have gone but. Or, or if you would have put doors and fours after it with it being tonally similar would that Maybe help? I don't know if that would actually compound the problem, but you, um, you might be right. Yeah, but the album is how it is, so that's what we're dealing with. And um, because yeah, I love you more than I hate me. It's um, intimate without intimacy. That's that's a little um, a little lyrical trick that Mike really really likes. Um, we were we were a thing without. Um, without the thing in a different form like in um in the home street home thing in uh i'm suicide the song uh, the main character sings uh about the abuse that uh she suffered at the hands of her father she said you know she says i was a virgin without virginity mm-hmm. and it's one of those it's uh it's a little fat mikeism but it's very, very effective. It works really, really nicely. And so, um, yeah, it's it's another one about... It's very similar to Your Last Resort. It's about the breakdown of his relationship with Soma, I think. And at least I think, unless I'm um, mixing them up. Did, did, did he not break up with Soma on the last album? It had been it had been uh, for a little while. Uh, I'm not sure, but oh no, they separated in 2017. Mm. I because I looked that up 
because and 2016 was when first ditch effort came out so they right. may well have been having problems but in that five year period i think um yeah i think his yeah he he broke up with his second wife soma and then i think also like covid put an end to the home street home musical that he devoted a lot of time to and so he was not in a in a good way and i think also I think also there was a, a rehab stint as well somewhere in here, but I don't think we have mm-hmm. any songs about that until double album. So we'll we'll wait for that um, to sort of talk about that. And again, I could be getting this wrong because I, I, some of these songs do blur together for me a little bit. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and that's possibly because, like, I've heard Slap Fats a thousand times. This I've heard a dozen, a couple of dozen. So I don't have the same relationship with single album that I do with albums that I've known for 20 years. Mm. So that's part of it. Although, you know, this isn't that much older than, uh, or this is much newer than First Stitch Effort, which I feel I have a, a very intimate knowledge of. So we'll see. But yeah, it's it's fine. I think this was one that was released early, uh, earlier than than the album and so it might have been that it became a sort of one-off single style thing because i think they did a video for it and and it might have felt like a bit too familiar to be an album track yeah for some people anyway um oh great guess what red Um, (laughs) a a, a man from gen x is going to talk about gender for a bit are you in yeah i guess (laughs) One thing that, look, we're going to talk about fuck euphemism. I think yeah. this is going to be a bit of a focus point of this episode. Potentially, um, yes. The thing that I find quite lame about this song is like absolutely everyone in it, bearing in mind the characters have been essentially created and, um, you know, position, but by Mike, you know, Mike is very much the driving force of this song. So like he gets to make them as um, ridiculous people as he wants. He gets to straw them. Yes. (laughs) A straw Um, them. But that being said, I think that everybody in the song comes off awfully. It just sounds like... yeah. It sounds like a... The worst bar. Yeah, it just sounds like a really awful argument where everyone involved is wrong in some way. <laughs> and then Mike turned that into a song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you must be familiar with the... Um, have you seen the... There was a famous photo taken outside of Manchester Printworks. And it's it's been uh, compared to like a a renaissance painting it's like a wide angle shot and there's just something happening in every angle and it's a legit just a real life photo but there's like a a man falling down with like a a full pint glass that he's managed to like save there's like policemen there's um oh is it like an anonymous bosch sort of just a really really full there's just so much going on Yeah, 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 yeah yeah you type in like manchester print works renaissance image or something like that i'm sure it will come up but it it feels like they've turned one of those scenes into just a song you know like everywhere you look there is uh someone being an arsehole 
Yeah, it it, it <laughs> feels like this is a sort of a bar that isn't good. Okay, so so we've got yeah. So basically, uh, I, I believe the bar's called the Eagle. I walked oh. into the Eagle. I think that was the first yes. line. Yes. Um. And and he's doing something that a lot of queer people are already well ahead of him of, which is saying, oh, well, no, I'm, you know, people, you know, the the whole thing of kink belongs at pride and all these kind of things. These are conversations people were happening before this song was a thing. Yeah, absolutely. So he's not bringing a new thing to the party. Uh, He's not bringing a new conversation to the table. Um, I mean, it must have been irritating to, for, I think, I think the 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 issue he's having is that he is a a, prog- a a progressive guy sexually and gender wise yeah who feels that they are being called out as being not progressive yeah i think and, that he's and, railing against and like he doesn't really give a reason as to why they think he isn't sorry you're saying uh yeah i i think that basically you know like he's gone into a bar and then they're like asking him his pronouns and things like that to, to just sort of like further understanding and like not, you know, they don't want there to be any like misunderstandings or anything like that. Mm. And I think what he has a problem with is like, he thinks uh, it's a sort of, and, and it's a, it's a big conversation in the community, isn't it? About, you know, like um, when, when pigeonholing is bad, when, when is, you know, like uh, a label unuseful, like yeah. when does it, when does it stop being about celebrating your own identity and start being about, okay, well you fit in this box and you go over there. And I think that's what he has a problem with, but it just sounds like, you know, like maybe the the question was asked weird, but also I think we all need to be really aware that there there are a lot of neurodivergent people in our communities and that sometimes they may not know how to ask questions in the most, um, uh, what's considered the most acceptable yeah. phrasing and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, because we're it, all a group yeah. of strange individuals and we should definitely yeah. be very tolerant and chill yeah, about and, that. And, and labels only work so far. And the problem is is that non-binary is the least useful one because yeah. it's the broadest church. Yeah, and we're allowed to say that. And we are absolutely allowed to say that because <laughs> like, if, if I'm walking down the street with my hands in my pockets, people are going to see a man. Yeah, because they sure. may not see if I've if I've not got nail varnish on that day, if I've not put on any makeup, if I'm if I'm not if I'm wearing mask clothes. Yeah, I don't present. And don't worry, I've got plenty of jokes about this, but um, I don't. <laughs> you know, I don't present. I I don't serve cunt is what I'm saying. You know, it. Uh, I I serve absolute girth. Don't you worry about that none. But it, and then there are people who are more daily androgynous. Particularly in and punk like, circles where, yeah. like, aesthetically, punks have always been sort of like... Uh, that Punks do generally play with gender, whether they yeah. do identify differently or not. Yeah. Like, there you've is, like... You've got your skeebers, you've got all yeah. sorts, you know. Eric Melvin wears eyeliner. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, and so... So they're just asking for clarification, Mike. I don't know why... <laughs> it, it does sit... I mean... <laughs> I don't know because there's a part of me that thinks possibly he was asked. He was asked his pronouns, 
as it and and his interpretation was if it if if I say he him they're going to ask me to leave. Mm, and it's yeah. like, well, I don't think that's ever happened. No. Um, having a bar just for non-binaries, God, that bar would be irritating. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to talk about Pokemon all fucking evening, thanks. Um, again, I can make that joke. If you were laughing, you're a bigot. No. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's... Um, I, I think it's a very strange angle to put out your position on your own gender <laughs> in the form of in the form of a sort of straw man argument well i remember when this song was released i remember a friend of the podcast will hodgson yep. uh they did a little status about it being like oh really disappointed in mike uh or, or, or just sort of asking has mike gone i think the uh i think the phrase used was akin to and forgive me will if i'm uh misquoting you but i remember it as has Mike gone a bit anti nowhere league? <laughs> yeah, and um, and no, the answer is no. Uh, thankfully, it was uh, Andrew O'Neill um, yes. said. Uh, Mike Mike has a company that makes. Um, forgive me for using this word; it's just a horrible word. Panties for men. Mm-hmm. Call them knickers. Grow up. Um, <laughs> Only people should be saying panties are little children and really obvious nonces so we can tell them to get away from the little children. Foul. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, you know, and stuff like this. And it's, um, and I think we all sort of, a, a lot of us said, uh, a lot of queer punks saying, we think Mike was just being incredibly clumsy with what he wanted to say, but overall doesn't, doesn't reject the concept of non-binarity you know there's i think there's a there's an alternate reality where mike um (laughs) mike releases an album called like you know um i don't know uh gay porn elite or something and where mike (laughs) is an adult gay porn star and he's trying to keep gay porn elite yeah and uh I yeah, like I, I feel like he's he's come up against the gatekeeping, which he has sung about himself. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, yeah, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think, I think this, yeah, actually, I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, I think there is some some gatekeeping uh, action happening here, and it does happen, especially you know, like I say, I'm uh, I'm bloke presenting non-binary, so a lot of you know non non-binaries would assume that i i'm not a part of their group uh for for example mm-hmm. but then you know if mike walks in wearing a rubber dress yeah uh you know and and it's part of it it's sort of mike's like saying no i'm i'm part of the queer community because i'm i'm kink but yeah and and it's like yeah sure 10 out of 10 why are you angry at the rest and it's and it's annoying to be it it's similar to um i don't want to make this comparison particularly but it's a very useful one because i don't think they're the same thing at all but when dave Chappelle said all of those stupid things mm-hmm. he said oh this i can't remember whether it was, it was a gay person or a trans person oh this person threatened to call the cops on me um and they know that cops will shoot black people in the us because sure. because Yes, that's true. 
and so but what he'd done was he'd drawn this sort of parallel saying um well that means that the queer community are happy to be racist you go, yeah are you forgetting the black members of the yeah, queer community it's exactly, like it is yeah. not they're not the venn diagram overlaps it is not two circles you know on the opposite sides of a page and Mike isn't saying anything that extreme or ridiculous, and I'm yes. sorry I brought it up, but it was a good example to say that, yeah, you, it, there is no... I mean, he does get annoyed when punks get like this as well. It's yeah. like, why are you surprised when queers are getting like it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I and I, I think that, you know, like I, I would imagine his sense of humour is quite tricky to... Uh, I, I think it must be very difficult to get that sense of humor across. In well, it, again, we're dealing with someone space. who he believes himself to be potentially neurodivergent. He said uh, yeah. he thinks that he may well be autistic or on on the spectrum at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, and um, and again, yeah, there are pl- there's plenty of neurodivergence within the the queer community as well as with there is in the general community. So. It could be, and because he, you know, he likes sort of nice abrasive jokes, that can be quite sort of conf- confrontational. But like in it, he's sort of, he's saying the idea of pronouns in general are stupid because he talks about uh, Doris Lesson in it, who was a uh, a writer. She wrote a, a novel, a futuristic novel. Well, I mean, she wrote about uh, gender and sexuality and, and all the rest of it. And mm-hmm. um and uh equally um she said that the you know she she wrote a novel where everyone used the pronoun per short for person yes sure and stuff like that and he's saying well maybe maybe we should all do that maybe that'll sort it out and it's like well it it it's not sort of avoiding the question really isn't it it's like going well maybe everyone should do this other thing that no one's brought up yet and it's i don't know <laughs> um as far as the the actual music goes, I quite like it. It's catchy. Yeah, it's okay. Um, again, like it feels quite similar to a lot of other stuff of theirs, particularly mm-hmm. around this um, this time. Uh, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's almost like it doesn't quite become its own thing for me. It, it mm. always feels like a worse version of another song. But um, it's not. I can't say it's bad. No, I think it's. Um, yeah, it, it, it reminds me of Stepmom's a cop. For some reason, it feels like it's a lyrics first song, and that the 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 music's had to sort of fit yes, into exactly. It. That's exactly it. Yeah. So the music is serving the lyrics rather than being a, a nice blend of the two. I think it, it's like this album's oxymoron. <laughs> a little bit i think it's i think it's catchier than oxymoron yeah i think um, it's better than that yeah uh yeah so <clears throat> it, it's uh it's a funny one because it it seems that in a weird way mike is sort of violently agreeing with the people he's arguing with but the terminology is just getting lost in the mix somewhere yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so there you go um, I think he's actually just offended they didn't find him funny. I don't. I don't think he's offended by any of the rest. I, of it. I find that more offensive than people misgendering me. To be honest, as well. <laughs> Same. So I'm, I'm totally on board. I uh, I totally see where he's coming from in that one. But um, 
but yeah, I think um, it seems like he's taken quite a lot of offense when it obviously I don't know because I don't know I, I imagine this is based on a true story based on an actual incident but it yeah. would have been dramatized and and brought to us through the prism of of Mike and stuff so um and it's really funny because I saw a lot of people going yes finally a punk band not afraid to to speak out against the gender Nazis or whatever they're calling us these days, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's not really saying that because I imagine Mike would actually rather hang out with people from our community, our larger community than people who go, Oh, finally you're taking down the people who are doing no harm. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. But it was, um, and then they like to ignore the bit where he talks about, you know, oh well, no, I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a fuck toy for doms, and they fuck me up the ass with strap-ons, and you know, gag me and put me in boxes and stuff, because <laughs> people who hate non-binaries and uh, and trans people love that kind of stuff. <laughs> They're always going on about how much they enjoy it. So, <laughs> I think that's put fuck euphemism to bed. Yeah. Hello everyone, Eddie here. Red and I hope you're enjoying our show. If you have been and would like to help us make it a little more easily, then you can donate to us at our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash punkrockelite, or you can look in the show notes for our link tree. If you can't help us financially, we totally understand, but would love it if you spread the word to other people who would like this podcast. We thank you for your continued support. We massively appreciate it. Back to the show. Fish in a gun barrel. This was another one that was released online. It's all right. Yeah. Sort of like, uh, it's got scary elements to it, right? Sort of a bit of a reggae song thing to it, yeah. You know, sort of like this album's um, All Out of Angst. It's closer to Eat the Meek, I think. In that yeah, it's you're right. Slower, actually, yeah, but I think um, I do like this one. Or actually, isn't um, I think when on my first listen to this, I thought this was actually relatively similar to um, Marxist Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's sort of like it's got that the scar element, and it is a slower song for them. Like it, yeah, but it's not. It's not quite eat the meeky no, no, sort no. of like tempo. No, it's um, it's got something to say. It reminds me a lot of their version of Substitute by Frank Turner. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Really similar. And you can tell they were sort of recorded in the similar sessions and stuff. Um, yeah, I like it. It's got the saxophone break. It's got um, it's got some lovely Karina on uh, on the backing vocals and stuff. I think. Um, it's uh, a very sort of heartfelt uh, dissection of the stupidity surrounding the problem that the US has with guns in its society. So, yeah, it's not uh, it's not upbeat, but I think it's it's not it's sort of it's gloomy, but in a very different way to like the big drag. Yeah, but again, it is gloomy. Like it's a it very is gloomy, gloomy album. Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, and we're only on track four. Yeah. 
mercifully, there's only 10 on here, so uh, they're, not, <laughs> uh, they're not done it. But yeah, I like it. I think it's... Um, I think it's good. I I, I certainly uh, certainly see. I mean, it's not a it's not an abstract lyric either. It's very clear in what it's saying, and it's and it's saying it very even handedly. To be honest, you know, only a lunatic would sell another lunatic a gun. Yeah, I I think it's one of the better songs on here. I really like it. Yeah, I, I think I put it in the top five easily. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I I, I like this one. Yeah. It's weird. I like I, looking at this. I like more of them than I think I do. Yeah, but I don't love any of them. Mm. And I love songs on No Effects albums. I love them. Yes, and I don't. True. There ain't much love here. Not, not from me. No. Although, I, I this next one. Birmingham. Yeah, you like this one, don't you? I do I, like I'm, Birmingham. I, you know, I don't really have many feelings towards this one i think it's it's all right i I, yeah i do like it uh i think it's um frank turner chose this as uh, one of his favorite uh, lyrics um i don't like doing drugs i just like doing more yeah well not favorite but certainly one that that he felt he felt in the feels as it is it's a it's a great lyric um i like this one i because it's similar to fuck euphemism in the sense that it's the story of an incident in Mike's life, recent life. Yeah. So that's the school of songwriting that it's coming from. And it's, and it's really vivid, the imagery where he's just by himself in a hotel room, just doing more drugs in the hope that, he'll stop feeling the way he is. Yeah. And I think it's one of the few songs that actually has no effects in the lyrics. Yes. Or it's uh, with no effects or having bondage sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a long, long dark night of the soul kind of thing. And it's one of the few times where he's not talking about drugs being, the brilliant thing to do that is fun and never bad. Yeah, sure. It's like he's catching up with a lot of his friends who probably got sober in the early 90s. Oh, like <laughs> his drummer, you know, um, but who wasn't... Cause it, and it's sort of, you know, it's um, just the, the idea of just heel-crushing a pill in a hotel room. Ugh. It's fucking wretched, you know. It's like you know the shitty carpets and stuff, and you know, and all the rest of it. And it's um, and just watching was it Horace and Pete, which was that Louis C.K. Oh yeah, drama show with um Steve Buscemi, which was apparently the most depressing fucking show. Yeah, I did watch made. all of that, and it was sad. I didn't, uh, I didn't see it, but um, you know, so he's really, really playing up just how miserable his existence was at that time. And I think it's very, very vivid. And I think it's when it drops out and it's just the acoustic guitar, like the arrangements properly, properly savvy. It's like, I want you to hear this bit. This is the bit you need to be paying attention to. And it's actually one where the lyrics and the music feel like they fit together. Unlike fuck euphemism, where it feels like it's sort of the music's crowbarred around it a little bit. 
you see what I mean? I think it's a much sort of smoother, a much more effective song. I th- I think production wise, I think this is an absolute triumph. This song, I think mm. it's been re- really well arranged and really well put together. Um, I don't love it, but I feel like me not loving it isn't down to this song. It's down to what you were saying earlier about the opening track just not doing the rest of the album any favors. It saps a lot of the life out of it, doesn't it? Yeah, it, I. Like I said, I don't think I can love anything on this album. Even though I, I, I do love the first track, but it just, it does something to the rest of the tracks. It's, um, it's a very strong taste. It's a very it's overbearing, flavor. isn't it? You've, you've put a lot of chili in your starter, and now you can't yeah. taste your main course. Yeah, you're still, you're still burning from the first one. And you're right. I don't know where it would go. Well, I'll just put it second, and that'll be fine. You know, it, yeah, exactly. It doesn't there's go no anywhere. Real place to put it, but I think maybe the, the first end, track. But it's, it's too much, but it it is an opener. Like there is yeah. something about it that is innately an opener. The first track sets out the stall, and No Effects have always been incredibly aware of this. Yeah, from days to days, all the way through to now, they know yeah. that the first track matters. And I don't know if there was an element of self-defeat in putting mm. this there. Maybe. Or if it was genuine, you know, slight self-sabotage, given the, the mood of the, the rest of this. But um, I don't know if... Uh, yeah, I don't know if that... Or if Mike just genuinely felt people were going to be really excited about 16 chords, no changes. But who can say again this this these two albums were dwelled upon for far too long according to mike he said we've not spent this long on an album since heavy petting zoo and yeah. and i think it's overproved and overbaked in in many ways but you know i was i was hoping that they'd put out like a a fuck the kids surfer style thing Mm. afterwards and just sort of you know blow out the cobwebs but uh but no but they said instead we are no longer a band bye um <laughs> and then this podcast started and um we all have regrets we all have regrets so yep birmingham it's good yeah it is good i, yeah. I think it is good i think it's um yeah well i've already said why we're halfway through. Linoleum, featuring Avenged Sevenfold. Uh, I like the music video for this. <laughs> yeah. I think that it works as, you know, the song and the music video together when you, you just go, oh, no effects have got a new thing out and it's a rehash of one of their old songs. It's very entertaining to watch the video and to listen to it. And like in the video, they've got like lots of, clips of uh, bands covering covers, yeah. linoleum and like they said that watching those and like getting all of those recordings together was a really like nice and humbling experience particularly mm. for mike and that's brilliant and great but when i listen to it just on the album i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> They actually did a second video because so many bands complained that their video wasn't in it. That's funny. 
So uh, they did another one, another full video. I don't think it even had all the clips of them in it and stuff because you've got like Avenged Sevenfold in the video. Yeah. Because Mike plays golf with them and they play the uh, the metal um, things. And they are one of the hopeless bands that plays it wrong. Because mm-hmm. apparently everyone gets linoleum wrong. There's some sort of chord change that only happens once in the song and no one no one picks up on it. They just play it the same way all the time. So that's kind of fun. It's um, it starts off apparently the way uh, Mike got it. Mike basically missed the fretboard when he was playing it. He wanted to go from E major to A minor, mm. and he missed and went to G sharp minor and went, "Oh, that sounds good." And then that's where linoleum came from. It's it's weird because it's sort of it wants to be a song about linoleum and it sort of is until right at the end when he starts talking about his daughter reading his book and it's like these are lyrics from a different song mike yeah it's yeah. nothing to do with linoleum you know it's a great idea yeah well the idea was was that they were going to it was so they didn't have to play linoleum live again they were going <laughs> to they were going to do linoleum so that they could stop playing linoleum because it's probably pretty much the only song they play at every show. So yeah, I, it feels like something that should be on an EP. It does. Yeah, it feels like it feels like you'd sort of re-record lin- linoleum as you'd record it now, like a sort of a novelty without the without the fat production and all that stuff, and then linoleum. The, uh, the 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 new version and just have it as a fun EP and then they were like oh it's too difficult to learn because it's all sort of cut up and uh, and whatnot and so yeah it's sort of I li- I like some of the lyrics I really like I really like the idea of you know we're gonna we're gonna uh, screw up a classic song even though you know even though we know you think it's wrong <laughs> which uh, I quite like it's sort of um, putting the onus on the audience for going no don't fuck with it it's like it's my song dickhead I'll do what I like it's like it's, that's kind of fun um, <laughs> and also uh, we're going to put it out to stud uh, I sort of like the idea of linoleum living in a field it's just a just, yeah yeah just yeah, a yeah. fun fun sort of image and and it's sort of it's acknowledging that for many people they're a band with just one song, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think that a band like No Effects have earned, and we know that Linoleum's thirty years old next year. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, and I think um, it does deserve some celebration. Yeah, and I think, and uh, there's some really lovely bits where they're talking about you know the the legacy of the song, you know. It's the song that Colombians love to hum because uh, you'll see that in the backstage passport that for some reason that well, they were in Colombia and a huge group of Colombians just hummed it at them rather than singing. You know, it was just really weird. Um, <laughs> it's in La Tigre's best song. There's, uh, there's yeah. a song where La Tigre... Uh, Decepticon. Yep. Uh, and that is all good. And it's the last song that Tony Sly ever played. Which oh is, really? Which is true. Yeah, he did an acoustic show somewhere in Canada, I think. And for his encore, he played uh, linoleum, and he, I think, he died in his sleep that night. And we all know how much the death of Tony Sly affected Mike 
And so knowing that Linoleum was the last song you played probably has something, you know, that that's going to that's going to have an impact, isn't it? So I like on paper I really like it. <laughs> and 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 I think you're right the video, the multimedia aspect celebrating it, it does feel really really good, but yeah. So that's Linoleum, I guess. Uh, My bro can survive cancer. I think this is one of the least memorable no effect songs ever. Yeah. I think it's up there. Ever? With, uh... Sorry, I didn't just, I didn't spot you. So I, sorry. Yeah. I filled in the rest of that sentence myself. I thought on the album, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. ever. Okay. Yeah. No, like, sure, sure. Know, every now and then there are no effect songs where like you see them written down and you're like, yeah, sure. But I, I don't remember what it sounds like. <laughs> And uh, this is this is one of those. It is set between two much catchier songs. Sure. So that could be it, but yeah, and and also so yeah, apparently the story of a guy who just kept on at Mike, kept on turning up to the Fat Records store and uh, saying, "Oh, I've got inoperable cancer and all of this kind of stuff," um, and then pestered him into writing a song about him. And then it turned out he didn't have cancer at all; he was lying. But Mike thought the song was so good that he put it on the album anyway. It's not even that he found out after it was released. He found out before, but he'd already written it and thought, oh, this will do. So basically, this guy just sort of got to hang out with Fat Mike, do some of his drugs, um, get recommendations for Doms, talk about all this stuff. Oh, I've only got a few months and and all this. And it turned out it was fine. <laughs> Great. So it's actually a better story than a song in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Grieve Soto. This is good good. Right. Now this is another song that I think um this song has the right vibe for this album. So like there are a couple tracks on here. The big drag, Doors and Fours, mm-hmm. this one, that do sound like they've come from the same album. There's something new that's happening which i haven't heard with no effects it's mm. um the 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 rhythm is um a little bit off kilter um and th- th- it's almost got like an almost like like a circusy element <laughs> to it like it's this, just a bit this one feels the most like a bridge between previous no effects and the doors and fours big drag yeah vibe I, I almost think like if this was a shorter track, maybe this would be a good second track. Oh, maybe. Um, I, I do think this is one of the better tracks on the album because it sounds like this album should sound. I think when this album is good, it's got its own sound. The big drag, Doors and Fours, and this one. Um, but then when the album is at its weakest, it's when it sounds like previous stuff. Like Fuck euphemism, linoleum. Um, yeah, I, I just think that those sound like previous works, um, whereas this one does sound new and exciting. Yes, well, it's uh, it's about one of his favourite things, uh, dead punks. Yeah. So we hear about Steve Soto of Adolescence. He was also in Agent Orange. He's done he's done a lot of stuff. One of those uh, one of those busy boys. Um, he died in 2018 and 
uh, Mike, big adolescence fan. And uh, I mean, in the first couple of lines, he talks about how um, it's a great shame it wasn't one of the other adolescents who died first, <laughs> which which is a strange way to grieve, but sure. Um, and then he, uh, he, it's it's a bit like linoleum in a way because. He then it starts off talking about Steve Soto. Then he talks about Bobby Pin, who also better well better known as Darby Crash of the Germs, who's been dead since like nineteen eighty, killed himself on the same day John Lennon died. Um and although I did learn that uh, he hustled for Paul Lind, uh, the American actor and uh, personality, which is uh, a fun little factoid. But it's sort of it's about Steve Soto. But then he talks about Derby Crash and sort of about how there aren't any exciting punks anymore. Mm. Steve Soto was an exciting punk. Derby Crash was like, oh, all of those uh, pills Derby used to take were empty capsules. Like he'd empty them out and pretend to like gob a load of them on stage and stuff like that. And how it was, you know, the performance was a part of it. You know, there's no Gigi Allens anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he makes a sort of slightly cringe thing of uh, you used to be the most hated punk, but now it's me. <laughs> and so there's a bit woe is me going on in there. Yeah. Particularly look, look, Hey, we hate the sex offender from anti-flag more than, mm. more than you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do. Um, <laughs> but I hate some people who have done nothing wrong more than you <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's it, it's um i think i think he does come in for a lot of flack i think people hate the fact that that there's the still those people who go oh, i can't believe he earns a living and <laughs> says he's punk i hate that <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and it's like okay fine i want my i want my favorite bands basically indebted to me so that if I buy one of their albums for ten dollars, they're grateful. That's what I want my artist to be like. It's like, mate, what is wrong with you? One thing I do think is good is, I think throughout this album, like one thing that's good about this entire album, I think Mike's voice sounds great. And oh I, yeah, I can't oh, well, say yeah. that for every album. No, I think I think like we were saying earlier, I think the I think the the production on it is great. I really, yeah, really I like the, the sound of it. Great, yeah. The guitars sound fantastic. The bass is bass tones great. The drums really sound thundery and boomy and really, really nice. Um, the keyboards blend in very nicely in some of them. It, like there's that one on first ditch effort that do 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 where the yeah, I love that. I love it, but the keyboards don't quite blend. They're a little overpowering in the mix. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, yeah. I yeah. like it. I really do like it a lot. But um, it with this one, everything seems to be just... The mix is just a little more uh, clear for everything. But yeah, um, so all of that stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's a bit easier to listen to than Heavy Petting Zoo for me. I find the production on the Heavy Petting Zoo album really hard work. Yeah. Fair. Whereas this one, yeah. And then, so yeah, so it finishes with 
and then it goes back to talking about how um then it talks about Jesus for a bit just to make for like far too long to make the point that Mike would rather Steve Soto would come back to life than the second coming of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so sure, sure. But um yeah, it's uh yeah, I d- uh, but musically I think it's really really strong. And uh yeah, dead punks Mike's looking back a little bit. That's all good. So, penultimate track, Doors and Fours. Banger. Banger. It's, uh, yeah, about uh, about some sort of drug that the punks took. I can't, he says it at some point in the, uh, in the lyrics. I can't remember what it is now. But, yeah, so it was... Um, well, I've not listened to Double Album yet, but, you know, this is... This could be NoFX's last banger. It could you know, be. It could many be people... the last banger that they, they they recorded on an album. It could be. We don't know. I mean, there, there is there is another album due out. They've got. So we'll find out. We don't know what's going on that one. Fingers crossed. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um, and then there's also the NoFXXX um, sort of collection of. It's like ten or five, five or ten. No, it's five demo, five discs. Or is mm-hmm. it ten? No, ten discs with two, um, with an acoustic version and a demo version of some upcoming songs as well. Cool. Which seems weird to release that before the actual album, but we'll never know. Uh, never know what's going on there. Uh, so yeah, Doors and Fours about a drug that was taken a lot in the eighties. Mike sings it as a we but i don't think he took drugs in the 80s so oh yeah unless he's unless unless this is a character based song which he has done before so he's talking about it as if he was there because that's a being a i watch some people do some drugs is is a weak is a weak song's position whereas we is a much stronger song position so that's fine um It's one of those things when someone talks about how honest they are, and I believe that he is pretty honest. If you do a character song, people can sometimes mistake that for you making claims about stuff. So yeah, sure. So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt on that one. Um, it's got a, a an acoustic slide motif over the top of the uh, the heavy stuff, which I think is uh, new and unusual, and uh, and I do like it. Hmm. I I prefer this to the big drag. I think. Oh, okay. But it, but, but it is sort of. I mean, oh, actually. Oh no, actually, this one's nearly five minutes as well. I was going to say, but it is quite a bit shorter, only by a minute. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't drag itself out. I suppose like the big drag does it, it feels like it drags itself out it feels like it gets to the point a lot quicker but um well i suppose yeah. it is a big drag well there we have it we've broken the code how did you crack the cipher uh yeah so yeah doors and fours um it is welcome it's a strange way to sort of come towards the end of the album yeah because it sort of brings it down before it brings it back up again with Last Resort, which is a much faster song. We'll get to that. But yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Any anything else to say about doors and fours? No, you know, like uh, my thoughts on this song begin and end with banger. Fair enough. (laughs) And and it's it's one of the few bits of Mel Yell we get on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not as much Mel on this album as I'd like. No, it feels. And again, and I think that's why. This feels really, really Mike forward. Well, I, I think uh, the, the whole album from from first ditch effort, I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of it is just very Mike led. I, I don't, I don't hear the influences of the other members in the songwriting as much. Well, I mean, I don't think they really have much say in the songwriting at all. Uh, but just the sort of use of them. I mean, obviously we have we have quite a bit of Mel on um, First Ditch Effort, you know, we've yeah. got, uh, six years on Dope and stuff like that. This one feels... This one feels more, not more personal, but more self-centred. Sure. It, there's no sort of outlook... Um, it feels very claustrophobic, I think, okay. as an album. Yeah. And and I think, again, it is why I get such a feeling of excitement and joy from the Frank Turner split. Okay, yeah. Because it feels like everyone's having a go on that, you know. Hefe sings on that split more than he has done on the last five albums. I, I right, you know we're coming I mean? towards the end of like NoFX's discography. Yeah, I feel like West Coast versus Wessex is the last time NoFX had fun on an album. It's yeah, <laughs> and that's weird because it's not what I would have assumed they would enjoy. It is weird, but um, yeah, I don't know, but. It, it felt like there was no, I don't know. It felt like the pressure was off. It felt like they could actually enjoy themselves. Mm. And, and it was more of a, whereas with this, it seems like a chore. Yeah. It feels like some of these things are a chore. Apparently, um, this is after, uh, Mike had been working with Johnny from Alan Markley, uh, Yotam from, um, useless ID and Baz, the, uh, the decomposers. Apparently he was like demoing with, because he never used to sort of demo stuff particularly, but he was demoing with Johnny from Old Man Markley and they were doing the drums on the computer. So uh-huh. Mike could, and then they were basically taking that MIDI drum thing to Smelly and saying, play that. And some of them, you can't. Some of the yeah. beats that they'd come up with. And so Mike had sort of basically been shown this method and he was like, I love this. Way more control over everything, you know, a bit more of a, you know, a, bit, <laughs> sure. of a bit of a control free. And so I think it became even less collaborative because apparently, you know, it would be a thing of Smelly would play a thing, Mike would go, maybe that, maybe that, maybe that. And then, you know, that's how the drum parts would come up. Um, whereas with this, it seems to have been already decided and Smelly just sort of played what the computer was telling him to, which doesn't sound like a huge amount of fun. Yeah, I, I think it's, and you know, like it's, it's it's become a job, I think, for a lot of them at this point. Yeah, and like Hefe would, like if he was doing a guitar solo, he would play a guitar solo 
and he'd play like four or five, just freestyle it. And Mike would go, oh, okay, that first bit's really good. Can you put it with that second bit from there? And they sort of build it together. Yeah. Whereas now I don't know if that's the same. Well, there aren't really many guitar leads in this. And the ones that no, are played by a bench sevenfold. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, which, you know, again, is fine. But um, so I don't know if if this is sort of... And it's the only thing that makes me think there's possibly some credence to the idea that Melvin and Hefe didn't play guitar on the actual records. Maybe I, mean, I, 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 st- I, I don't still know. don't. I still don't think that's the case because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, um, because, especially because they don't get writing credits. But so, I also do think that. They aren't having fun at this point. I think you can hear it. And I think that them calling it a day probably isn't the worst idea. Like, I would well, rather them call it a day than continue and not have fun with it. Well, I think the, I think that they were all still enjoying playing live, apart yeah. from Mike. Uh, and that's also where the other three made their money, hmm. really, because... Mike takes the bulk of the money because he writes the songs, which is fine. That is that is how that works, the publishing and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I I really don't think that they've not played, oh, well, they didn't play guitar on their last 25 albums because of this, that and the other. Because we know that when other people play on no effects albums, they get put in the credits. Yeah, but recently around this time like i feel like the last couple albums we've looked at it hasn't had a comprehensive list of who's doing what not on wikipedia on like west coast versus wessex there's definitely more people doing like vocals and yeah i don't think they mentioned karina on that but that's on the wikipedia one so i don't know Hmm. if people are taking that from the actual liner notes or not because i bought that one from fat records on uh digital sure and irritatingly enough all they give you is the cover picture <laughs> and i'm like come on guys a pdf inlay wouldn't kill you would it you know I, but oh well whatever um it's what you get when you spend eight dollars i suppose but um <laughs> they've got to pay someone to digitize it and do it all right so you know maybe they don't want to do that but yeah so then we get to uh your last resort which is sort of similar to I Love You More Than I Hate Me. I think it's about the split from Soma. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I feel for me at this point, like the album's already over at this point. <laughs> I I, uh, I don't think this is a bad song, but it's not. Following Doors and Fours and having listened to the album that I've just listened to, like I just don't need this song here. It's not giving me anything that I, I i needed or wanted sure it's um it's got a similarity to um fair leather friends which is from the coke yeah. the clown album the solo album basically and it's about how it, we, and that song is about how um mike was very hurt to find out that a lot of people stopped calling him stopped inviting him to things when uh he married a sex worker 
and that he was very, very upset at how judgmental people were about the fact that his wife was that the reason, it. though, Mike? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Um, I feel like if you're not inviting Mike to a party, it's not because his wife of a sex worker, it's because well, he is fat Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that's possible. That's possible. Um, I think I think it was because after they divorced, people started inviting him again. Oh, okay, sure. So there's a bit more a bit more weight, a bit more credence to that uh theory. But I don't know if anyone ever said it outright. Someone might have done, but um that was certainly the um you know, because he was like, I was the happiest I'd been for ages. I, I was married to someone who accepted me and all of my kink cross-dressing stuff, because apparently his, his ex-wife had been a bit dismissive of that kind of thing, his first wife. Um, and then he found out that people were not inviting him to stuff and keeping him <laughs> out of the loop of, and stuff like that. And and I don't know, um, but he said that's certainly how he feels the story was. And yeah. Um, and this one sort of feels like it's similar to that, but this one's about, you know, addressing her directly saying, you know, was I a project? Was I someone you thought you could fix? And I think, I believe the reason given that um, he and Soma split up was because she wanted to stop doing drugs. So she was like getting clean. I think she became a Buddhist or started sort of leaning that way, certainly. Wow. And uh, Mike liked drugs and disliked religion. So uh, that was... I find that difficult to believe that that was the only reason, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's Again, it's not really ours. Those are the sort of reasons that are out there in the, in, in the public record, but um, I don't really care why people split up if it was not a... A horrible violent thing or what have you so but this one is very it's very woe is me and that's sometimes fine but i don't know it i don't think it, it it's it, to me it's just not that strong a song emotionally it probably carries a lot of weight and i think it is a very emotional song and it's it's moving in a way but i don't know what are your final thoughts on on this album as a whole? I think it's got some great ideas, and I think that if they could have done a full album of you know Doors and Fours, uh, Soto, the Big Drag, even I think Fuck Euphemism is great, mm. uh, Birmingham's okay. I think if they if they pushed ahead and really found a full album of this sound because there's yeah. a few tracks on here that do have a new no effects sound that excites me and that I love, but I don't hear that throughout the album. Yeah. Uh, and that's what stops me from, from loving it because it doesn't feel wholly its own thing, but it, it, there are, there are little flourishes where it, where it does do that. It feels like a compilation. Yeah. Fair. To my mind. And that sort of, and it's weird because no effects compilations are actually better than this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, of of like unreleased tracks, not the best of. That's cheating. But you know, um, you know the forty five, forty six songs, long songs as well. These this the, the, this yeah. album has longer songs than other albums. And I think 
one of the problems is like you know like wolves there's a few like album tracks that people aren't fans of but at least they're over in one minute 30 seconds this you know like even something like my bro can survive cancer is a two and a half minute song which for for no effects is is a longer one of their songs particularly if you look at some of their other albums yeah um so and and i feel like it's okay if if there's like a forgettable album track that's one and a half minutes. Well, that's fine. Well, yeah, but a forgettable well, I mean, you, album track you, that's three minutes long. I don't know. If you look at uh, like Benny got blowed up. Yes. One minute five. Yes. Getting high on the down low. One minute uh-huh. thirteen. Great. You know these are. And those songs, they come like I know what those songs sound like. Like I I can play them in my head. But if you give me. You know, you ask me tomorrow what mm. a load of these songs sound like. I'll have no idea. Well, let's put it this way. Wow. Okay, so... Um, 18 songs on Wolves in Wolves Clothing. Mm. And there's 19, which is an unlisted track. But take that off, lop that off, and you have got... 34 minutes and 18 <laughs> wow. songs. Wow. This you've got 10 songs and 36 minutes. Yeah. I, f- I think that's the problem right there. And it feels like it. It feels like a long album and you've had 10 songs. There's probably like three, like four or five songs that are 30 seconds too long. Oh, yeah. At least. Um, it, it feels like... It feels like a collection rather than an album, I suppose. Yes, it does, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so well, the critical reception, I said earlier that Karan gave it four, four out of five. Wall of Sound gave it eight, eight out of ten, which is the same thing. Uh, so David McLaughlin uh, scored it four out of five, saying, if your mind was made up about no effects years ago, single album is unlikely to change it. But even if this isn't essential for everyone, it is for the band's troubled leader. So essentially saying, this is therapy. Let the man have therapy. Uh, which is very humanitarian of him. Uh, and uh, Karis Hercom, good name, isn't it? Uh, of Wall of Sound said, anyone who refuses to listen to no effects beyond the late 90s will be disappointed. Some fans will take a while to adapt to the musical variety, while others will appreciate the diversity. Which sounded a little condescending, but uh, who knows. Um, It's not one I'm rushing back to. No, it's not, is it? But there are tracks on here that I will be. Yeah, there are some tracks that I'd 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 put in a playlist, but only a handful. Actually, there's only a handful of songs on here. Probably "Fish in a Barrel," "Birmingham," "Grief." Doors Soto. and fours. Doors and fours. Okay, so forty percent of the songs. Yeah, but you know, like forty percent of a No Effects album is normally like, you know, nine songs. <laughs> but but it's also forty percent of a No Effects album are the songs that you love. Yeah. Yes, not like yeah. Yeah. Uh, only 10 songs on the following album, double album as well. Um, although the longest one of those, I'm just looking here, 
is four minutes 19. And we even have a one minute 18 second song on here. Many more starting with three or two in the time. So, although there is a truly fucking dog shit song on the next album. See if well, you can spot it. That's all for next week, I suppose. Yeah, all for the next time. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, is it? I mean, a lot of people were, when uh, these two albums had come out, people were saying, well, probably just as well they're quitting, isn't it? I, look, I, I don't, I, I'm, and I know I've been quite down on it this this episode. Mm. I'm not as down on it as other NoFX fans are. I no. do know like a lot of people like see this as like the death of the band and all of that. I think there's some interesting stuff on here. Um, and I, I, I just wish that they could have pushed through and, and made a full album of of unique and interesting sounding songs. Cause I do think I, I agree with you. I think there's like four great ones on here. Um, I, yeah. I think uh, overbaked overproved. Yes. And Mike has said it himself. He knows that no effects work best when they have a limited time, but with lockdown, heavy petting zooed it, heavy petting zooed it. They absolutely did because he spent too long in the pre thing with Johnny learning new technology and um and spoiling it that way or not spoiling it changing it to where the formula didn't suit anymore they were never going to reinvent themselves no but they could make stylistic changes and 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 twists and stuff which they have done before you know they you know if you look at how much scar there is on slap fats and then how totally different that is to valum you know they they can do that they can they can make these changes they can and and it's good that they do that because it gives you eras it's just not my favorite era so right. yeah i mean i i genuinely believe that first ditch effort was the last great no effects album and it was brilliant yeah it's great to my mind and and that's why i'm sort of really glad it sounds really awful, and I'm sorry if anyone thinks that I'm taking this metaphor a bit too far or that it's in poor taste. But you know when someone isn't doing well and it's close to the close to the end, and then you just have like a really great time with them, and it feels like old times. That's how I feel about the Frank Turner split. Sure, in a really weird way. It's like, well, we did have that day at the seaside. We did. And, and I agree. And, and as someone who isn't, you know, like, um, I don't necessarily, I don't really listen to Frank's music in isolation, but I agree with that as well. Mm. Um, it really like the enjoyment they had recording that really shines through. It feels like let it, be, it feels like um, Abbey Road and let it be. When the Beatles made um, let it be. Yeah. Obviously, if you've seen the TV show uh, and all that stuff, they had a put. They decided, even though they knew they were splitting up, they decided they needed to make a better album. So they made Abbey Road. And they all said that they had the best time making that. Because they knew it was going to be the last. Yeah. So they're like, well, we... <clears throat> all of the animosity they might have felt towards one another, all that kind of stuff. And it's so much a better album than Let It Be. <laughs> you know, it, it's got it's got some of their best stuff on it. They did release it before Let Let It Be was the last one they released, but Abbey Road is technically, I always think of it as the last Beatles album because it's much Mm -hmm. nicer to think of that being what they went out on than than the album they enjoyed the least. And it feels like 
this is their let it be. Great. And then we've got part two coming up next time because double album and single album I'm treating as a sort of one entity. But Yes, I'm looking forward to the next one. Let's it's, get it done. There's there's an album that I there's a song there's a couple of songs in it I think you will like. Um uh one song I really think you won't. Uh, all the rest stays <laughs> up in the air, but uh, but we'll find out. Looking forward to it. If you have any strong feelings on single album, or indeed any of the uh, piping hot takes we've dumped out onto your chest this week, yeah, I said that. Um, <laughs> then um, I'm trying. I'm trying a new direction, like no effects. Then uh, Punk Rock Elite Podcast at Gmail dot com. Thank you, Red. Thank you, Eddie. Bye. And that was single album. Let us know what you thought. Uh, Punk Rock Elite Podcast at Gmail dot com. There must be some fans. I do know there are some fans out there. I know people who've spoken very, very highly of the album. I know people who've been incredibly scathing. People who've said that dividing it into two albums was just a cash grab or. And, and and to be honest, I haven't got a clue. I can't answer any of those things because I don't know. I think it's weird to consider it a cash grab in a way just because I sort of don't see no effects as a very cash grabby type of thing. I know they've been doing a lot of like seven inch box sets and stuff and they did a lot of different t-shirts. Their Patreon has been under scrutiny, but as as I'm aware, they have sort of been letting everyone know what's going on with all of that stuff so but i but again i don't know i'm not close enough at the time they had a patreon i wasn't in a financial position to be a part of it so um that is research for another day i suppose but anyway we will be seeing you all again very very soon for double album which as of the time of recording is the last full length no effects release there's apparently going to be at least one more but we have no idea when that will be so very interesting we'll find out later thank you so much for listening as always we really really do appreciate it uh we love you uh best of luck to red on their pantomime journey and we'll see you soon bye bye Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.